Welcome, I'm Leah Carlson Downey, your host, and you are listening to Oscars Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the career and filmography of Oscar Isaac, presented by The Daily Drunk. In each episode, I invite a new guest to chat with me about one project on Oscar's IMDb page, and this week we'll be discussing Oscar Isaac's leading role in the TV show Moon Knight, as well as how the show and Oscar's amazing work in it figures into the evolution of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it. Why did you call me Mark? It must be very difficult. The voice is in your head. Shut up! There's chaos in you. Embrace the chaos. So today, I am so excited to have Trey and Jude with me. They're the hosts of the podcast MCU Need to Know, and they cover all of the Marvel films that come out. They also do recaps of the TV shows. They also cover trailers and first reactions and all that fun stuff. So it's a great podcast. I found them through their Moon Knight recaps. So that's why I invited them to be with me today to discuss Moon Knight. So hi, Trey and Jude. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? I'm really excited to be here and and help kick off this Oscar Isaac podcast. Yes, yes. Yes, well, thanks for being with me. I think it'll be really fun to discuss Moon Knight with you guys because I think we're coming at it from different perspectives, which is always great. And I really enjoyed your Moon Knight recaps and... I hope that this episode will give you a chance to discuss a specific facet of that show, which I think you guys really enjoyed um, based on. Oh, very much so. Yeah. So I think this episode uh, will give you a chance to discuss a particular facet of the show, Oscar Isaac and his performance, which I think is really central to the show um, and part of why it works so well, in my opinion, at least. So, We can start with just a quick synopsis of the show. It's on Disney Plus. It was six episodes. It was announced as a limited series, right? It was. It was. Um, And there was some question uh, about that. I think some people even tried to dig in to see, like, if that was official or not. But ultimately, I think the majority of fans thought it was limited and thought that that was what it was supposed to be. Yeah, because it... It was announced, I think, as a limited series. I remember reading that Oscar Isaac had only signed on for one season, but then the show itself kind of sets up a continuation, right? Like it ends on a note where the story's fairly self-contained, but there are threads that are that are introduced. There's a thread in particular that's introduced in the end credit scene of the final episode that really made me think there was going to be more. It's that special Marvel Studios flair. Where yes, it's like, exactly. <laughs> yes. We had this plan, but I, like, I have my own personal theory that I think somewhere midway through that season, they were like, oh, we've got something special here. And so they, they set themselves up to continue if the parties involved would like to. Yeah, I think that's a great theory. I, I think I might agree with you. So 
How would you quickly summarize the story of season one, hopefully not the only season, of Moon Knight? Um, let's see. I guess quickly, I would say it's a story about uh, Mark Spector and this brokenness, uh, in a larger sense, this brokenness of humanity and like where, um, essentially when you get into it, where we come from and what that does to us and, and reconciling that individually, you know, and, and, and who we are played out through Mark Spector and Stephen Grant. Yeah. So who are Mark Spector and Stephen Grant? Mark Spector, as we learned through the series, is the original identity. But I think what was brilliant about Moon Knight is they started us with a more endearing identity with Stephen Grant. And it it allows us to learn along with the character that Stephen Grant had no idea about this other identity that he was living with. And so as mysterious as it is to him, it's mysterious to us, which I think also works on the other level of this is an introductory entry for a character. So I thought that was brilliant. And having both of them be the central, I guess, catalyst for the stories, I think is what enabled the larger theme of the series altogether of that self-compassion of again, cause I, I I'm a broken record on this, but I, I mentioned it on our podcast a lot that the thing that I think makes superhero stories special is that it takes relatable human stories to the absolute extreme. And so something like self-compassion is a, a universal story, but they get to play in that superhero space of, okay, let's take the, the identity and actually have it physically manifest. So to answer that question, Mark and Steven are two sides of a person learning to forgive themselves. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, yeah, Steven and Mark are two personalities of the same person who has disassociative identity disorder. And so, like you said, I think it's a really smart move that the show starts you with Stephen Grant, who is the not badass personality. (laughs) (laughs) He's not the superhero one. He is just this guy who he works at the British Museum. He's really into Egyptology. And he has these sort of night terrors. He leaves the house at night. So he he knows something is up with him. Something is is wrong to his mind, but he doesn't know what. Um, And it turns out, as you said, that uh, he is one of these two personalities. And it's Mark Spector, who is, as you say, the original personality. And um, he's a mercenary. He's a badass. He's a fighter. And he's made this deal with the moon god, the Egyptian moon god, Khonshu, that he will be the avatar for Khonshu. So that's the superhero element, is that we have Mark Spector, and eventually Stephen Grant, too, also gets his own um, Mr. Knight costume. So his iteration of the Moon Knight superhero is also is different from Mark Spector's, which I really appreciated. I thought it was a nice touch. As a a quick aside, as wonderful as the Moon Knight character design looked and how awesome it was when they revealed that, I don't know how in the same series they're able to top that with a Mr. Knight. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So to prepare for this podcast, um, I watched the Assembled documentary on Moon Knight, which um, Trey and Jude had recommended I do. And I was really cool to see the detail on the Mr. Knight costume in that documentary because you could see it. It was really well lit in this documentary. So you could see all the texture and all the detail on the Mr. Knight costume. It was It's a fabulous costume that I think might be underrated. Well, I, I liked, I don't know, I, it fit the personality of, of Grant. It's so well, and, and, you, and you mentioned, you know, the Moon Knight and the superhero element. And it, I don't want to say it, it, it's becoming cliche because it's not, but, but so many shows now are, are in, in movies and media are tapping into this idea of like being who you are is is perfect is perfectly fine and and anybody can be that superhero right and so having that costume for Stephen grant versus the other costume for the mercenary mark specter was just it was a good way to visually distinguish but like you said with the detail and everything it really really brings out um the character so then Basically, the, the overarching plot of the series is that uh, Stephen discovers the, his other personality, Mark slash Moon Knight. The two personalities start working together um, with the help of Mark's wife, Layla. And she's the other, I would say, main character in this show. And they're working to defeat the main villain is Arthur Harrow, played by Ethan Hawke. And he is the avatar of another Egyptian god, Amit. And Kanshu and Amit are kind of philosophically opposed. And Mark slash Stephen slash Moon Knight slash Mr. Knight. <laughs> <laughs> slash, slash everyone. <laughs> Work together with Layla, who um, turns out to be a Scarlet Scarab by the end of the show. They work together to defeat Arthur Harrow. So I know you guys are Marvel guys. So of course you're going to watch Moon Knight. Um, and I, like we covered before, you enjoyed it. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because we're here to talk about Oscar Isaac specifically, uh, if you had any feelings or preconceived notions that you brought to the show because of Oscar Isaac's involvement with it. I think for me, it was a bit of a meta anticipation and that Oscar Isaac was somebody who lived on the periphery for me. Like I knew of him. I've seen the big movies he was in star Wars, X-Men apocalypse. Although ask me two days from now and I'll forget that he was in X-Men apocalypse. <laughs> uh, and then of course, Dune. like I, I had known who he is and because of his experience with those other larger studio films, the thing that stood out to me is that when he decided to do this, I was like, oh, this is going to be something special because he already talked about not having good experiences with those other big franchises. So in a way, it is because of Oscar Isaac that my my anticipation was elevated, but it was more so in contrast to what he originally said. Um, so like, I, I learned to grow an appreciation for Oscar Isaac going through this. Okay. So it was like his reputation maybe that made yeah. you think, oh, this must be a good film rather than like actually having seen and enjoyed his work. Okay. That's interesting. What about you, Jude? I would say the same. Um, like I, from the Star Wars trilogy, I, I enjoyed his work. 
Um, I knew he was in other things. Um, I saw Dune. Um, well, I have my thoughts on Dune. It wasn't my favorite, <laughs> but but I I I knew of him as a good actor, right? And so there was this excitement of like, wow, you're getting a big name for this character. Um, and same thing, you know. I think one of the things that really surprised me when I started looking through everything was how much stuff he'd been in that I just didn't realize. Um, before yeah, he's busy. Force Awakens. He's working all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it, that's, that was the thing that really, I was like, Oh wow. I didn't realize he was in this. and He was in that. And you know. Um, yeah. He's a very prolific actor. And I think it's interesting to hear you guys talk about like, your experience of, you know, hearing about him, but not necessarily having seen him in that much outside of Star Wars and Dune and that kind of stuff. Um, Because I feel like he's had such a long career that there's usually like, there's usually one project where I talk to people and they're like, that's when I saw Oscar Isaac for the first time. And I was like, Oh, he's one to watch. And it's very rarely the same thing. Like for a lot of people, it's inside Lewin Davis from 2013. That was kind of his, his breakthrough um, in some senses. Um, And that's when I first saw him. But then for some people, it's Star Wars. For some people, it's Dune. For some people, it's going to be this. It's going to be Moon Knight. Um, So it's really interesting. Always, I like to ask people kind of about their sense of his career because he's been around for so long, but he, and he is a big name, like you guys both mentioned, but he doesn't necessarily have like a defining role, you know? So I think this kind of leads into my next question is, did you guys leave uh, after watching Moon Knight feeling any differently about Oscar Isaac as an actor? I think for me, I would say it really confirmed what I had thought and what I expected of like how good um, he is and and the range he had, Um, especially, you know, again, trying to look at some stuff and thinking, okay, I got to, I'm going to be prepared. We're going to do this. And, and one of the things I noticed, it seems like he gravitates to these kind of roles where there's like this more where, where, where he's had he's had other roles where he had like kind of a almost dual identity somehow within it, um, which I found really interesting. And, and and it's like it comes across in Moon Knight how, you know, that like he's that that's something that he's just fascinated with and exploring. Um, so yeah, so in that, in that sense, like it, it's, it very much was a confirmation of how good he is. He definitely no longer lives on the periphery for me. Like he is now a draw. Like why, I, when we talked about Moon Knight throughout our coverage, I think the thing I kept coming back to is because of the uniqueness of Moon Knight being centered on this disassociative identity disorder, creating these two identities and it being something that he wanted to treat with respect and spent a lot of time making sure he was doing that carefully. It is incredibly special that he created two identities. And I think the thing that was telling, especially in that assembled documentary is by the end of it, people were commenting how he didn't have to say a word and you could, you knew if it was Steven and you knew if it was Mark. And that is a testament to his dedication and his skill and his like on-screen performance. So he's, I, 
I'm, I think I'm a fanboy now. <laughs> Yay! That's what I like to hear. As a fangirl, that's what I like to hear. So I think, yeah, you both mentioned that part of what makes Moon Knight such an interesting character is this, you know, this dual personality. And it requires an actor who is up for the challenge and is very versatile and also very dedicated. And like you said, someone who's going to approach the role with research and respect. Um, and Oscar Isaac has talked about how he was drawn to this project. He's talked about this in multiple places, multiple times, how he was drawn to this project because he was able to approach the character as, or approach the show as a character study, um, which I think you can really see in his final performances. I mean, I hesitate <laughs> to even call it a, I mean, it's, it is a single performance, but he's, performing multiple characters. No, that's accurate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even in the documentary, I mean, he talked about how until he got comfortable with it, he did all the Stephen Grant stuff, all the Mark Spector stuff. And then it pays off in dividends by the time we get to the end where we see those transformation happen without a camera cut. And you can tell the difference. You're right. It is performances. Yeah. I mean, I always think of Oscar Isaac. He he's He's almost an A-lister. He's very famous. He's he's pretty well known. He's had big roles. Um, but he is like an actor's actor at heart. Like he graduated from Juilliard. Like I think he likes those meaty acting challenges. He doesn't necessarily rest on a persona when he's on screen. He likes to do different things. He's versatile. And so, again, I think he said that's why he was attracted to this series. And I wanted to ask you guys, since you guys watch so many Marvel films and shows and you're really well versed in the MCU, how do you feel that Moon Knight sits with other MCU properties as far as how Moon Knight uses actors? Like that's an awkward way to phrase it, but like, do you find in general that MCU properties are a great place for actors to show off or not generally? That sounds like a leading question, but it's not. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And, and I want to be careful how I answer this because there's some conversations Trey and I have had off pod that I don't, I don't want to, to say anything that it's not ready. <laughs> if that makes sense to go out. Um, so let me, let me put it this way. I think that the MCU is trying to, to get there in some ways. I think, I think there's, there's some ways where it's just like, I mean, if you look at Iron Man and I'm not saying Robert, because Robert Downey Jr. skilled and I'm not going to say like he wasn't acting, but, but, but there's a lot where you look at him and there's, there's very much him there, you know, and, um, and and you kind of get that, and maybe it's just because they're so it's so well done. You feel like their their own personality is coming out, uh, but there's not, like you said, there's the the range you get, like you got out of Oscar Isaac here. Um, but I kind of think the MCU would like to get there. Um, you know, you see it here. Um, you see it, I think, in the performances and some other things. Um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll put it that way. I think if I can go out on that limb, I, cause I get, I get what you're talking about. And the first two things that came to mind was some of the original recasting 
We had Terrence Howard as Colonel Rhodes, who was then replaced with Don Cheadle because of conflicts. You had Edward Norton, who was originally the Hulk and became um, Mark Ruffalo because Mark Ruffalo supposedly was more willing to play ball with the direction that they were going. So I think they're I mean, that's I'm not an actor, but I'm assuming choices and being able to make those decisions for those characters you're bringing to life are incredibly important to those believable performances. And so that being what attracted Oscar Isaac to Moon Knight, I think shows a shift in the perception, at least, of Marvel Studios, because Marvel Studios has always been that, like, I don't want to completely say run by committee, but it was it was this this feeling that it wasn't, and I'm going to get us down this rabbit hole, it wasn't true cinema, right? Like, regardless of that, that conversation, that's the perception it had. So I think with stories like Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight, you're starting to see at least an attempt to maybe rectify that perception. But 100%, I think it is um, an example of, regardless of how Marvel Studios projects are received, it's clearly important to the actor. Like, Oscar Isaac put in so much work for this character that I think lends a level of, not necessarily notoriety, but it, it shows that there's true heart here in this film. And maybe it's not firing on all cylinders for everybody, but with Oscar Isaac, he found something in that. And I think that's something we're seeing the Marvel Studios put front and center. Yeah. And I think both of you mentioned this shift that I also agree that there is kind of a shift in, well, let's put it this way, a shift in the kind of the type of acting that the projects are requiring. So I think in the early, in the earlier films, earlier phases, they, Marvel was casting people who were relatively unknown. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is an exception, but he was, you know, not in a great phase of his career uh, when he was cast as Iron Man. And they were kind of casting these relative unknowns and then kind of molding them to be like the their superhero characters. Like their kind of off-screen persona was very tied to their superhero characters. And I think you see this with Chris Evans as a great example. So I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I think based on what you guys have said, I think... I think we can agree that there has been sort of a shift in the MCU to kind of um, thinking about roles with acting in mind rather than like, um, that sounds bad because I think (laughs) (laughs) that sounds bad because I think, I think persona acting is acting too. Right. So I don't want to say that like what Robert Downey Jr. is doing as Iron Man isn't acting. It is, it's just a different type of acting. It's like, He's bringing a certain persona to the role and it's effective and it's great. And, you know, Iron Man's one of my favorite MCU characters. I wouldn't change him. But I think there's a shift from kind of requiring that kind of persona acting from relatively unknown actors to kind of going after more established actors, actors to do yeah. kind of more heavy. No, I, I think you know I, what I'm I know I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying, because because there's this element of like, um, well, the two things that come to mind, and tell me, tell me if I'm wrong on this. It's the, um, and the series Loki, and you have Owen Wilson, um, and his famous wow, but they intentionally left it out, right? Because they they didn't they didn't they weren't getting him for that. Um, or my favorite, um, my favorite Will Ferrell movie is uh, Stranger Than Fiction, 
And, you know, you think Will Ferrell, comedic, but it's, while it's funny, it's really tough to watch in some places. Um, and, and it's really, really interesting in asking these questions of about life. Um, and I love that one the most because it gets away from, you know, but, but I, I completely get what you're saying of like, well, the very first time I saw Thor and this was like years ago, prepping for Avengers. And my wife was like, Natalie Portman's in this. Why would she do this? It's like, why, why not? Like, so, yeah. Well, and no spoilers for Thor four, but I, I do. No, the think, first Thor. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. but I do think that one of the ways that they got, they lured Natalie Portman back. Cause she was one, she said she didn't want to do any more Thor movies. She didn't necessarily have a good experience doing one and two. And I think the way they lured her back is they gave her like a meteor storyline in Thor four. Um, and that's, you know, no spoilers, but I think when you see it, you'll, you'll, um, know what I mean. But I think that's interesting that you brought up Natalie Portman, because I think that's exactly an example of what we're talking about, actually. And I think it almost has to change in the direction you're talking about. Again, not no, not speaking pejoratively of the way it used to be, but there became this running, I don't know if trope is the right word, but if you saw a big name actor in a Marvel movie, that's the villain. Exactly. There's no way they would yes. sign on for like yes. five or six films, but because of the shift in direction with things like Moon Knight, you are seeing like the ability to draw these bigger names and have that comfort of, oh, I do have choice here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you bring that up. The, that usually the bigger names are the villains because they would only sign on for one film, right? Like Marvel used to do contracts that were much more long-term, you know, actors. And this all, of course, is based on, you know, leaks and hearsay and whatever. But the 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 sense that everyone has, which I think is true, is that in earlier phases of the MCU, the made the main you know, heroes had to sign on for multiple appearances. You couldn't sign on for just one movie. You had to be like, no, I'm committing to four Marvel movies. Um, And Oscar Isaac's contract for Moon Knight was just for one season. And I think that's why it was announced as a limited uh, limited series because he had only signed on for one season. And it's been so successful and they kept the door open. And I would be really, really surprised if Oscar Isaac didn't make another appearance. as this character or these characters. Um, but I do think Marvel, Marvel in their um, quest to get maybe bigger names or different types of actors signed onto their projects, I think they've, it seems like they've kind of had to adjust their contracts, that there has to be this flexibility, you know? Yeah, I think there has been a shift away from the long-term deals such as that. Yeah, Kevin Feige even came out, I think, right. I think it was right before COVID and before anything new is coming out and kind of hinted that they were changing up the way they did that, that they were no longer going to announce these phase long plans. And this is what you're going to expect. And instead, they were going to work within these short term windows. And in in and in that route, that meant shorter contracts for the actors themselves. Because I'm again doing research. The funniest line 
I found was from Samuel L. Jackson when he was talking about how he signed up for Nick Fury. He was like, I was looking at the contract and it was for nine films. It's like, well, how long do I need to be alive for nine films? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's it's part of the fun of those long-term contracts is that's how you ended up with all of these different characters in their films that weren't their kind of marquee name films. And you got all of the sort of cross-pollination between the different um like individual heroes, you know, series. Um, and that was like fun. And that's such a big part of, you know, of the appeal of the MCU to everyone. And so I do kind of wonder how the, the shorter contracts, even as they may attract a different type of talent, like how much that will kind of affect this, this interconnectivity, you know, I don't know. Um, you know what? And and I'm curious of what, now again, I am not a industry expert or, <laughs> or anything, um, but I know, I know something that we've talked about was um, with the streaming and, and some of this that brought it up to mind was the lawsuit with um, Scarlett Johansson um, and even some of the other lawsuits that came out before hers uh, when you know, pandemic and it was HBO Max and Warner Brothers put everything on. Speaking of Dune, that was yeah, was Yeah. Well, I mean, you had your contracts, right? That it was it was the VHS, right? The VHS. There was this huge fear of people losing out on money, and then they worked it out with rental stores and adjusting of contracts for back end type stuff and this going straight to streaming at the same time is super new in the industry and for contracts. So I think that's another aspect of it of, you know, you, there's a typical like, Oh, I get a three picture movie deal kind of thing. And you're wondering sometimes why did they do that movie? Well, it's the third or second, you know, second or third movie of the, of that contract to get that other one. But with the moon Knight was streaming. You know, and so it's much more difficult, I would think, at this moment to to try even think about a long term contract, because now you're talking about TV series. And does that mean it's less money if it's a TV series with a, with an actor like Oscar Isaac or somebody? And, and so I think there's a lot of elements like that, that we will see um, definitely change in the next five to 10 years. I think it's a trust play. And and again, to put out that same uh, caveat as Jude, I can only ever be an armchair expert on this. But I remember reading during the Scarlett Johansson uh, lawsuits, uh, reportedly Kevin Feige was incredibly upset by the way that Disney was handling it because from outside looking in, it seems like he puts that importance of like, hey, the actors are the 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 face of this obviously like they're having that consistency is why this works and so it i can see how it seems a little contradictory to be like okay we're going to do short term stuff but if i'm an actor and i see that i have that option to like all right i'm only going to be on this for one entry and i still have that flexibility to go do the other movies and projects i want to do i feel more susceptible to sign the next contract whenever marvel studios needs me and bringing this back to Oscar Isaac, he said that himself, that he, the reason he was so tormented over Moon Knight was having that ability to go do 
other projects as well. And so he got to like almost backdoor this complex character study of Stephen Grant and Mark Spector in the shell of a superhero film. And he got what he wanted out of it while also playing to the dominating force of a superhero genre. And so I think on Marvel Studios part, lesser contracts really is trying to build that trust with the talent, which leaves room for people like Oscar Isaac to to really dive in. Yeah, it's 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 all interesting stuff. So thank you for like getting a little nitty gritty with the with the uh, industry stuff for me. I think it's all interesting, and I think that without some of these changes, we would not have gotten Oscar Isaac in Moon Knight. Um, and so, what does Oscar Isaac bring to this role? How does he break it down? We talked about it a little bit um, previously, but how does he? create these two characters how would you describe Stephen Grant how would you describe Mark Spector um how does Oscar Isaac really differentiate his performance of the two characters I think the thing for me that stood out about three episodes in to Moon Knight was and speaking of Stephen Grant what Oscar Isaac was able to bring to that character is every time I wanted to go and describe Stephen the first word that came to mind was sheepish But if I push past that, or I'm sorry, the first word that came to mind was pushover. But if I push past that first imagery that conjures up, you realize that Stephen Grant's not a pushover. He's shy, he's soft-spoken, but he is very quick to stick up for what he adheres to his own moral compass. Uh, There's a scene where he's speaking point blank to the villain, Arthur Harrow, where Arthur Harrow's supposedly laying out this wonderful plan about how they're going to save the world. And Steven's like, so you're just cool with like killing people before they've done anything wrong. (laughs) And so I know that's like an easy example, but I think it is a special touch that Oscar Isaac, Isaac brought to that character because it plays in contrast with what he did to Mark Spector. Whereas he's this assured character. But if you push past that, it's because as we learn throughout the series and and with the revelation of his traumatic childhood, it's not so much assuredness because he's confident. It's assuredness because he feels like he has to be. So there are no variables and no room for mistakes. And so in doing that, he pushes everyone else away. And that's unsustainable. So in contrast to Steven, it's a lot more easy to break him because once he breaks, it breaks hard. So I like that Oscar Isaac captured those two identities within with his performances of both of them. And I don't know if you get that level of detail without someone like Oscar Isaac, uh, because like I said earlier, you I mean, even even me now, you can show me a screenshot and I know which one's Stephen and which one is Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the big thing, of course, is the voice. He does the British accent for Steven. And that got a lot of attention when the when the um, when the trailer released, people were like, what is this accent? Because it is kind of silly. And even I was like, he sounds like he's like a Dickens orphan. What is going on? But (laughs) it comes back to this character work, though, because when I finally got to episode, it's episode five, right, where you find out. Um, that Mark is the original identity and he had sort of created Stephen um, to protect himself from these traumatic memories. And so 
when you learn the origin of Stephen and that Stephen Grant is the name of this sort of Indiana Jones type character um, that Mark Spector had really loved as a kid and that he was British and that um, that Mark is the original identity. So Stephen's accent is kind of fake. Like it all makes <laughs> sense. It all makes so much sense and it all comes together so beautifully. And it's like deep, deep character work. And it made me feel kind of bad talking shit about his accent on Twitter. When the <laughs> <laughs> came out. I was like, I should have waited. <laughs> what is Twitter if not shit talking lasting long enough to feel bad about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that approach. The and I never thought of it that way. The the sense of the accent being bad on purpose. And it's, I mean, it's not really that bad, but it is, it's a little well, corporate. I mean, but, 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 but you're right. Like it's, it's not, it's, it should sound off, you know, um, because it's not the, this is where it gets really, this was a struggle of doing these podcasts on, on Moon Knight. Um, Cause it was Stephen Grant, you know, as a persona, um, but it shouldn't be. Cause that wasn't Mark Spector's original. Um, I just liked Oscar Isaac's ability to take two ends of that spectrum, right? The, this, this someone who's super overconfident, but that's, uh, you know, inspector, but that's trying to make up and, and, and suppress things. And then on the other end, you have someone who is in my, the other end of that spectrum, I'd say is cowardice, but it's not a coward. It's just so, it's not cowardice in the sense of how we would normally use the word, but it's, it's more of a guarded this, you know, needing to get this confidence to come out of your shell. Um, and having the two characters, you know, unpack that and work their way towards each other, um, was just fascinating to watch him do that. Um, with the, Again, the, we mentioned the accent, but just even the little mannerisms he'd have for each one um, and and how they walked, you know, one with the military kind of and he's always upright. And then one was a little bit more hunched over, you know, just, um, you know, those, those types of things and just the, the body language of how he carried himself to, to portray that was just fantastic. Yeah, it's really, it was fun for me watching this because I've seen Oscar Isaac play kind of Mark Spector type characters before. I've seen him play the military guy. I've seen him play a little more the action hero. I've seen him play, you know, kind of, you know, confident and sexy. And so it was fun to see him play Stephen Grant because I've never seen him play a role like that before. And it was really interesting to hear Oscar Isaac talk about his process in the Assemble documentary, because he was talking about how he came up with Stephen Grant first, that that was kind of the character that he was drawn to and the character that he kind of created first. And uh, I love the detail when he was saying he came up with the accent and he was using the accent around the house and his kids were like (laughs) (laughs) having fun with it. Um, And so yeah, it was kind of interesting to hear him say that, that he came up with Stephen Grant first, and that was the role that he kind of latched onto first, um, because it is kind of something different for him. And something also in the Stephen Grant character that I think Oscar Isaac pulled off really well, but I have not seen him do before, is the humor and the comedic side. Um, he brought kind of like a lightness and 
uh, almost like a little bit of a goofiness to some of par- parts of this show as Stephen Grant. And it was really fun to see Oscar Isaac do that because that's not, I don't associate him with that really based on other roles I've seen him do. Yeah, I guess you get hints of that, right? In the Star Wars, Star Wars, dear Lord, I can't speak, Star Wars, Wars. In his role as Poe, <laughs> I mean, you get some sense of, of that, but those weren't, I mean, it was Star Wars, dear Lord, now I can't say it at all. It was <laughs> it was that brand of comedy, It's not, but it wasn't just a straight up comedic film. So yeah, um, and just thinking about some of those other things, like what I've seen, Agora, that's was not humorous at all. <laughs> you know, um, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm glad you phrased it as that. Oh, I've seen Oscar Isaac do the Mark Spector stuff because it definitely plays into his decision-making that he wants to do something different. Every, every interview that I read or watched, or even in the simple documentary, he keeps coming back to this notion of challenging himself. He wants to do something different. He wants to try and put him in an uncomfortable situation to see what he can bring out. And the thing that stood out to me in one of the interviews that I was watching was finding out he almost turned down Star Wars because he had an interview with J.J. Uh, Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy, and they pitched him the idea. And originally, he was only supposed to be the instigating act of here's this guy he's suave he's a confident fighter and he dies and that's where the story picks up and he met with them and told them face to face like well i feel like i've done that before so you know let me think about it and i'll get back to you and by the time he called them again to say you know what i am going to do it they had rewritten the role so even though that's an example of him pushing forward it is on his mind to do something different. So I, I'm glad you highlighted how Stephen Grant was that differentiating factor for him because he definitely is an actor that I think is looking for that next challenge so that it can bring out, I think, as is the final result of Moon Knight, his best work. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think... Not always, but I like to think that I can tell when an actor is having fun. Like you can kind of tell when someone is enjoying their work. We call that the dark world in Ragnarok. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I can, you can just tell Oscar Isaac is having fun doing this show. Like, <laughs> especially in some of the scenes in the later episodes where he is playing against himself. Um, which I think was fun in the assembled documentary. Uh, they were saying that uh, Oscar Isaac was saying that his brother played his like stand-in body double in those scenes, which is so fun. I can't. I feel like that would be so fun to do something like that with your sibling if you were close. Um, A fun fact: Have you heard what his brother was calling himself as on set? No, Mork Sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> funny uh but yeah like you can you can tell how much fun oscar isaac is having in this role and i really do think that it comes down to that relishing that challenge um which as you said is something that he talks a lot about in interviews about constantly trying to challenge himself um and i think it's interesting he hasn't said this in a while but he was saying this um around the time of star wars actually is that oscar isaac 
was saying in interviews that he didn't want to be called a movie star. Like he didn't want to be considered a movie star. He's an actor. And I think that really gets to that distinction we were talking about earlier about kind of like persona acting or kind of like character acting. And it's really interesting that, you know, right around his kind of Star Wars breakthrough time, he was like, I don't, I don't want to be a persona. I don't want to be a movie star always doing the same thing. I want to be doing character work. And so it's really fun that he ended up doing something like this because it's, yeah, exactly what he's been saying he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the main sources of prep I did for this was, a, a it was like a round table interview. I think it's Hollywood Access who does this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Oscar Isaac was in on it. Brian Cox, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Tom Hiddleston, just a, a wonderful variety of actors. And they got on that subject about how television right now is one of the most interesting places to be because it does give them that runway to really experiment with the character. Uh, I think it was Brian Cox of Succession fame right now who said it was like being in a never-ending second act where you really get to just delve into the characters. So I think that I can see why avoiding the movie star identity was something that was important to him because he was constantly chasing that freedom to be lost in the character in a way that's not limited to one form or another. Yeah. So I did want to bring up the third personality just really quickly because he only shows up in the end credit scene. Um, It's Jake Lockley is the third personality. And, uh, I, the first time I watched uh, the final episode, I actually didn't watch the end credit scene because I wasn't thinking. I was like, I I wasn't even thinking that there was going to be one. Of course there was going to be one. It's Marvel, but I just turned it off. And then I was reading and I was like, oh, end credit scene. Of course I had to go back and watch it. I've been trained to sit in the theater and watch the credits for the end credit scenes, but the TV shows, it hasn't registered. Um, They have not been consistent. With the TV shows, and that's 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 been a big complaint of ours. <laughs> that's a broken record we both share. I don't think there's been a Disney Plus Marvel series yet where we were happy with the end credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So, how did you feel about this end credit scene? I liked it because I'm of two minds. I liked it because I am a Marvel Studios fan. I like that is the promise of more, but there was also that feeling of like. No, 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 no. I want to know more. Like, what happened here? This wasn't part of the story we were watching. <laughs> but it's, I think, like a lot of the success of Moon Knight, it works because of Oscar Isaac. I mean, that's why we're here, where I take issue with how little Jake Lockley was set up in the series. Like, if you if you really pay close attention, he makes some appearances briefly in the series itself but he doesn't get the debut till the end credit and i think the reason that end credit sticks out so wonderfully is i believe oscar isaac only gave jake lockley two lines and yet it is a memorable performance like that with the way he kicks that wheelchair as he gets harrow into the limo like that lives rent free in my head because it was such a statement with no word said because it again is a presence that he has created in such minimal time. So I, I like the end tag because of that performance, but there was a part of me that was like, Oh man, am I ever going to get to come back and watch this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing where I hope it's not a limited series. Well, 
man, just from everything we're saying, part of me is like, well, maybe it is a limited series and we just get the movie. But I don't, at that point, no, give me six hours of, of him doing this rather than two hours. So, so yeah. Um, but I think I'm, I'm on the same boat as Trey of just, I love that it, that it left us wanting more. And in that MCU fashion, there is that what's to come. Um, I, I think, there was some confusion maybe in, in the fan base um, that was there because wait, it's a limited series. Is it not? Um, and, and you have this, um, but I'd love to see, you know, it, like if they did, did the show again, you know, season two and you get a lot of Lockley and a lot of Grant, that would be amazing. You know, um, nothing against Spectre, but like, <laughs> just to see those, you know. Yeah. Well, what stuck out to me with Jake Lockley is, as you said, Trey, he only has two lines and Oscar Isaac speaks them both in Spanish. And it stuck out to me because Oscar Isaac is Latino, um, but he doesn't always take roles um, that are Latino characters. Um, I, I know that he's been... He doesn't talk like he's very open about his Latino identity in in interviews and stuff. And he's very proud of it. But he doesn't. I think he he has talked about not wanting to be typecast and stuff like that. And so it was kind of a career movie changed his name and 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 whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, it really stood out to me that he that he did that he spoke Spanish as Jake Lockley and like that kind that character choice was really interesting to me um, just because of kind of how he's, I, I will say it, his hesitation to play Latino characters on screen. Um, so I would be really curious to see more of Jake Lockley um, for that reason too, because like he's an, in, he's an interesting character and I, I want to see more of Oscar Isaac and I want to see what he does with it. But um, yeah, I was very intrigued. Yeah, it seems like j- just from everything we've talked about, it seems like if they did come back with a season two, you know, Oscar Isaac very much had a lot of input. Jake Lockley is probably speaking sp- multiple languages, Spanish, English, maybe throw in one other thing. Like it just, it just seems like that would be and the next step that, that, you know, it's like, oh, I get to do this now and kind of push myself in, uh, in that direction. Yeah, that would be that would be another acting challenge too, right? Like <laughs> acting in two languages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like singing in different languages, yeah. <laughs> I I think it reminds me of a video you actually sent me, Jude, of it was his SNL opening monologue where he was talking about his name and I mean his full name is Oscar Isaac Hernandez Estrada. And he said when he was becoming an actor, he had to shorten it, so of course he, they chose the whitest sounding one with Oscar Isaac. And so <laughs> It sounds like there is, because again, I'm not familiar enough with his work to know where he personally is at with, you know, being Latino and wanting to have that be in the film or typecast. But the choice, at least in Moon Knight, to me, lives in this place where he gets to bring that part of him into it, while also being that interesting character choice that I think you and Jude were going in on of. Does Jake Lockley only speak Spanish? Where did he learn Spanish? Is this something that was part of his upbringing that now is only limited to this identity that has splintered off from him? And so I think that choice is almost a good example of the kind of creative things I think Oscar Isaac is doing with the decision making he's making on screen. 
Yeah. Well, and there's an element of typecasting, not just like, okay, you're, you're, you're only the Latino character. Um, but the name that comes to mind is that the actor Cliff Curtis, who he has been, you know, Hispanic and training day, but Middle Eastern and something else. And, Egyptian and something that like like it's just a wide range and it and it's like in his career seems like the the typecast in the way of like oh you can slip into any of these and you have the the skin color to to do that and and I can see where for Oscar Isaac especially with his talent and range that that is a legitimate fear of like no 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 I don't want to be only for these roles that are that are sliding around um i need to double check but i think vin diesel it sounds weird i'm bringing up his name in this when we're talking about the actors actors <laughs> um he's part of the family but if i remember <laughs> oh my gosh um i think i'm, I'm i pulled up imdb real quick uh he has um a short film back in 95 it's like 20 minutes um that's just read it right out of imdb a short film about the problems a company that accompany an actor as he auditions due to his multi-ethnic appearance. Um, and er, like super early, this is before, I guess it was Saving Private Ryan that really got him on the map. But because of that, it was like, no one really knew where to cast him, who to cast him, because you could do multiple roles and um, just from ethnicity standpoint. And so it, it makes sense. It, it's like, I want to be a creative, but not pigeonholed. And Oscar Isaac early in his career, I think, was considered sort of ethnically ambiguous. Like you see he plays, he's played a few Middle Eastern characters, like he's played Jewish characters. He does kind of, he did kind of do that early in his career. And it's been really interesting watching him as he takes leading roles, really, the leading roles that he's taken are very like, not tied to race in any way or race or ethnicity, I should say. Um, so it's interesting to see him kind of maybe bring some of his like Latino heritage into this role. And I think it's interesting at this, for him to do that at this point in the Marvel cinematic universe, when I feel like a lot of their projects are very thoughtfully and respectfully dealing with representation. Um, I think you see it in Moon Knight. I think the handling of the, um, of the Egyptian culture and contemporary Egyptian culture is really sensitive and thoughtful. And the, the showrunner is Egyptian and the actress who plays Layla May Kalamawi is, is part Egyptian as well. And um, um, it was really interesting hearing Mohammed Diab, the showrunner talk about how, when they built the Cairo set for Moon Knight, he wanted to make sure that a, it was, you know, accurate and B that you really get this sense that the pyramids uh, the Great Pyramids are right up against the city. And he says, you know, it's one. Of, it was one of his kind of pet peeves that whenever you see the pyramids in movies, they're like out in the middle of the desert. And he's like, no, Cairo's right there. And that was something that I think the show used to great effect, particularly in the final episode where you have um, Amit and Khonshu are, you basically have like a kaiju battle in front of the pyramids where you have, <laughs> mm -hmm. you have Cairo in the forefront and then you have these huge gods fighting each other in front of the pyramids. And uh, it was, it was a great, great shot. And um, you could see the kind of thoughtfulness and care that, that went into um, staging those scenes in Cairo. 
it's the difference of representation and good representation, which is something that I've been like focusing in on. A, a podcaster that I really enjoy, uh, David Chen. He he's on the the film cast. He runs his own culturally relevant podcast, and that's something that he's kind of. Like I think everyone has an intrinsic feeling of when it is good representation, but he's been pointing it out. And I think because Oscar Isaac's character in Moon Knight lives in that nebulous space, like we really don't get too much into the uh, racial identity or religious identity, but just more so the identity of Mark and, and Stephen. It stands out more when you add in that that aspect of Jake Lockley of oh, you find this out. It's not, oh, here is the Spanish-speaking character. It's here's this character that has that interesting attribute about him that leads you to wanting to know more about it. So it's not like a, like a check mark that somebody did for the show. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I do, I do kind of wonder if, if Marvel's recent um, good representation kind of maybe, I mean, this is like a huge overreach, but like I wonder if it's like it's, kind of created a space where Oscar Isaac is like, okay, maybe we can bring this to a role and it's not going to feel like exploitative or bad or weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and the MCU has had its missteps, um, you know, and, but, and, and I think this is a sign of um, them trying to learn, you know, I don't know how else to put it. Just them saying, yeah, I, we're not perfect and and we're going to keep pushing forward and, le- and learning from this. Um, and you see that in some of the casting choices, but, but especially in the show running and directing choices. So you, you guys liked Moon Knight. Clearly. I also enjoyed it very much. Um, is there anything kind of from Moon Knight like anything about sort of the sensibility of it or the plot or whatever that you would like to see, like going forward in the MCU, like what do you hope its effect on the MCU is? I think this is going to sound weird to say, because this is a billion dollar company. (laughs) I think we're seeing Marvel studios in this kind of growing pains area where the reasons I like Moon Knight is because of the, willingness to get different and to be weird and having that conviction of doing something outside of the norm. And there's been a lot of examples of the MCU tiptoeing to that direction, but inevitably it always comes back to the MCU formula of the big, because I mean, we talked about it in our podcast, we were loving Moon Knight and we had our big battle. And even though the big battle was great, it didn't really feel like it completed the momentum that it had. I'll speak for me in that regard. It didn't feel like it completed the momentum it had. It's like, here's our big fight sequence. Here's our promise for something more. And we'll see you on the next one. My hope is with Moon Knight, because of Oscar Isaac's performance, because of the good representation on camera and behind the camera, we'll see Marvel Studios start to divorce itself from that idea of needing the bombastic finish and allow because they're on that right track. They they wouldn't spend this time focusing on giving the actors more creative choice in these roles if they weren't eventually going to get there. But I think if Marvel Studios is going to last another ten years, they're not going to do it the way they did it with the previous Infinity Saga. It's going to be through the route 
of the creative freedom. And I want to see the reins let loose a little bit more moving forward. And I think Moon Knight is a testament to that being successful. Yeah. So I think for me, just to continue, which I think that all the Disney Plus shows, we've seen this. Um, I don't know if we've, this could be a whole other podcast. So I'm going to say, I don't know if we've seen it get over to the theatrical side yet. I think we've seen attempts of it, but just the being cognizant of who we're getting on the, on the creative side, you know, your directors and your writers and not just, I mean, yes, representation is important, but not just that, but getting the, the willingness to do something creative, like with WandaVision, you know, it was, was fantastic. Um, what Kate Heron did with uh, Loki was wonderful. Um, Moon Knight here. Um, even though Miss Marvel is a coming of age, you know, and, and a typical coming of age, the the showrunner and the directors and the choices they're making has given it something unique and something different. And so that for me is to see, is to say, look, th- these are being successful. Like th- keep going in this direction. It's exciting. Yeah. But I agree with you. I don't know if we've seen it so much in the films, the phase four films. Yeah. And I, I, I do, it does kind of make me wonder why if maybe on the TV side, they just feel a little less restricted by the, the cinematic universe. I don't know. I think we also see on the film side, this impulse and maybe it's in game chasing to let the movies be the cinematic event. You're getting all these characters. You saw it with Doctor Strange and and Wanda in Multiverse. You saw it with Spider-Man No Way Home and all the previous iterations of the heroes and villains coming for that. Uh, Internals, even though that was a new cast, that's a major cast. So it feels like the Disney Plus side is allowing for creative explorations like Moon Knight while letting the movies be the, the event movies, which... I don't know if that's the right route to take, but it is it is a trend I think we're seeing. Before the Disney Plus shows, you know, you had your what I would argue the Infinity Saga is fairly cohesive from Iron Man to Endgame. And uh in fact I was texting with a friend last night, uh, because I, I still haven't seen Stranger Things season four yet, and I just finished Stranger Things three. Then I was like, oh, they could they could have just ended it here. Like if I don't watch season four and I ignore what their end credit was, I'm fine with that ending. And you could say the same thing about the MCU. You could have ended it at Endgame and never had another thing and it would have been fine. And so I think there's an element that what we as an audience have been trained in in that to to see it and 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 not knowing yet where all this is going to tie together. Uh, well, th- just the fact that I said not knowing where it's going to all tie together is the assumption that it's that's even the plan to tie it all together. Like you know, and so so that's which I think has an impact as a as a viewer now of like how I watch it and what I'm thinking about as I'm as I'm watching it. Which I have to say that was one of the things I really enjoyed about Moon Knight was that it didn't tie into anything. Like I enjoyed that it was standalone. And of course, like I was tantalized by the teaser at the end and I was like, no, now I need to know and I want more. But I did really enjoy that it was that Moon Knight told a story that stood on its own. They created this really interesting character that I wanted to see more of, but I felt like 
you know, the, the story that they set out to tell in this season was told and, you know, Mark and Steven kind of reached some sort of a balance. They got to a better place. And, you know, I feel like I left the character in an okay place. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciated that because, yeah, I think sometimes you do, I do get caught up with the MCU of like, wow, does it tie in? Where is it going to go? Yes. It's going to show yes. up. And it's like, <laughs> that's, that can be fun. But also sometimes it's, it can be like a distracting metal layer sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely a feature and not a bug that Moon Knight doesn't need the tie-ins. In fact, Jude, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we only get one or two references, or one spoken reference to any of the other MCU stuff, and that's with speaking about the, uh, was it the astral plane? Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. were in the asylum. That yeah. was the only concrete spoken reference. Otherwise, it's just imagery in the background. And so that is... Because I've always had this feeling of, and I think we're kind of in this area, are we ever going to see Marvel Studios move past this idea of, like, we need to build up to an Avengers movie and rather just let's let these characters, because there's a bunch of characters in the Marvel catalog, can these characters just do their own standalone thing and enter Moon Knight? <laughs> I, I love the confidence with which they put forth this story and it stood on its own, the character stood on its own. And yeah. I think the success of that was in no small part to Oscar Isaac's work um, as the main character, because that was like the cent- the centerpiece of all of it. I don't think it would have worked nearly as well without him. Oh, no, not at all. So any last thoughts on Moon Knight or Oscar Isaac or acting in the MCU? <laughs> <laughs> I think... My final thought, I wrote this down because it was something that I think really surmises everything we've talked about specifically in regards to Oscar Isaac. It was this article that said Oscar Isaac likes to quote the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, quote, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. And I think that is a testament to the challenge I think Oscar Isaac continue is in pursuit of. Um and I like that. I like that. That's that special. I don't want to say unease, but that, that again, that challenge that he's looking for. And it's it's cool to see that be brought forth in this Moon Knight performance. And like I said before, he existed on the periphery. Now I want to make an active choice of like going to watch some of those other films and, and explore that more because of who he is. Well, I hope you watch more and then you listen to the podcast episodes and maybe you'll go on this Oscar Isaac journey with me. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you on this one because it's, that that was a goal for me was to to watch one movie a week and so get like fifty two movies that weren't MCU related, you know, because um, I got the past two years I think so focused MCU wise with the pod that it kind of it's like started looking around. I was like, no, I haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen that. And, and I used to see a lot of stuff, you know. Um, and so that's something definitely that preparing to, to talk to you about Oscar Isaac is, is really opened my eyes to like, Oh my gosh, how much did I get away from that? And uh, watching lightning face, you know, and, and, you know, and, and just looking at his credits and then it's like, to be honest, I'm almost feeling overwhelmed. of like, <laughs> which, which one do I pick? Which one, what, what do I watch that I haven't watched that, um, you know, for this. So, so I'm, I'm really excited uh, to, to dive into a lot more of his stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, Jude can attest to this. I am the worst person when it comes to being recommended something to watch. I'm very much looking forward to your podcast because nothing gets me to watch stuff more than like having a podcast that I can follow along with. <laughs> so it is going to be like a curated list of Oscar Isaac films yes. for me to dive yes. into. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I love it. That's funny. No, I feel you, though, on only watching MCU stuff because my other podcast is vampire movies. And I feel like some weeks all I watch are vampire movies. And I'm like, OK, I need to watch something that doesn't have fangs in it. because. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I feel yeah, that. So you know it. You know it. <laughs> the curse of the themed podcast. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I guess the good thing about this Oscar Isaac podcast is he's been in all sorts of different kinds of movies. So. It's good. It'll keep it keep it varied. It'll be good. <laughs> it's a great actor to choose to theme a podcast on for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I hope so. So thank you so much for joining me today to chat about Moon Knight and Oscar Isaac's performance in it and all of the, you know, fun MCU stuff. I really appreciated the uh, perspective that you brought to the discussion. And it was an honor to have you guys on. Um I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope our listeners do too. I hope you did. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Thank you so much. It was a, it was, this was a blast. Yeah. Like I said at the top, it, it was an honor to be able to not only do this, but help kick this off. So I, I, I thank you. So it's been a pleasure to have you guys before we sign off. Um, do you want to remind our listeners where they can find you if they want to hear more from you? Yeah, we're a weekly podcast. Wherever you download podcasts, you can find us, MCU Need to Know. Uh, we release on Mondays. Typically, uh, I think the main flagship of our podcast is doing the weekly recaps of whatever Disney Plus show happens to be running, uh, whatever movie comes out. And even in the off periods, whenever there's nothing currently new in the MCU, we do topic-based episodes of MCU subjects. Uh, I, I think one of the standouts of our recent podcast has been we did a bracket where we pitted each movie from the th four trilogies in the mcu and we made the whole internet mad so <laughs> <laughs> yeah we ruffled some feathers with that one that's how you know you're doing it right if everybody's yeah. mad it's like all right <laughs> so if, if the mcu is is your thing we've got a weekly episode for you thank you again to trey and jude for joining me for this episode to discuss moon knight I would like to wrap up this episode with a little section I like to call the red string section. And that's the portion of the episode where I look for patterns in Oscar Isaac's filmography that may or may not be, but probably slash definitely are not significant. So I hope by the end of this podcast project, I have an actual cork board covered in red string. That's the goal. So here is today's handful of Moon Knight related Oscar Isaac facts that you can arrange into any sort of conspiracy theory constellation that you would like as you embark on your quest to come up with a unifying theory of Oscar Isaac's career. So first up, Moon Knight is Oscar's third project shot partially in Wadi Rum, a uh, desert in Jordan. That's the third project after Star Wars and Dune, Desert Power. Moon Knight is Oscar's second project with F. Murray Abraham. Abraham provided the voice of the moon god Khonshu in Moon Knight, and uh, Abraham co-starred with Oscar Isaac in a very memorable scene in the 2013 film Inside Lewin Davis. Moon Knight is Oscar Isaac's second project with Disney, 
after Star Wars, of course. And last but not least, Moon Knight is not the first time that Oscar Isaac has done a silly British accent on screen. You can find Oscar Isaac doing a different but equally ridiculous British accent as Prince John in Ridley Scott's 2010 film Robin Hood. If I missed anything, if I missed any connections, please let me know. I want my conspiracy theory board to be as complete as possible. So you can find me on Twitter at Oscars Podcast. That's podcast with two A's. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of Oscars Podcast presented by The Daily Drunk. I'm Leah Carlson Downey, your host, and I hope you'll join us next time.